Welcome to episode number 42 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Astrid Shans Garbasi, who is the co-founder and CEO at Good Medicine Company, which is a functional foods company that offers delicious, edible remedies designed to support specific health needs. So for instance, if you want better sleep quality or you're seeking better digestive health, this is a company for you. In this episode, we discuss how food can be used to treat specific health needs, and there are a few of them that Astrid actually focuses on with her company. We discuss how she launched and grew her company, as well as her experience with a different company that she started called Fine Nutrition, where she was making high-fat energy bars, as well as going through her experience with Venture for America, something I had not heard about previously, but which is a fascinating concept for getting people more acclimated with entrepreneurship. Be sure to check out Astrid at thegoodmedicinecompany.com. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show over on iTunes. Search Just Go Grind, leave a rating and review, and also subscribe. Please do. Without further ado, here is Astrid from The Good Medicine Company. Astrid, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, and having a health and fitness background myself, I'm definitely excited to talk about all the things you're working on. And throughout the research for this episode, actually, one of the things I want to ask right away, in a non-fitness related exactly, is Venture for America. I never heard of it before doing the research on it and saw that you went through it. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was? Yeah, absolutely. So it's pretty new. So no surprise that it was something that hadn't been on your radar before, but it's a lot like Teach for America, but The fellowship recruits, trains, and then places recent grads that want to go into entrepreneurship and that have, you know, for whatever reason, masochism or otherwise, (laughs) decided that they want to start a business. So, um, yeah, my experience with them was fantastic. And I, I had a lot of cool experiences working, you know, apprenticing myself to entrepreneurs and working closely with CEOs, uh, through that fellowship. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing opportunity. And I've seen, looked into them a little bit and it seems like they're doing some cool stuff, something I'm kind of interested in as well. How did you hear about it initially? Oh, deep internet searching. So I think <laughs> I was on like page 47 of idealist.org. I actually oh, wow. remember I was lying in my dorm room, a senior year dorm room bed, great floral comforter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like late into the night, like what am I going to do? when I graduate and get out of here and I saw the fellowship and they struck a chord, you know, it was okay. Like all of your peers are going into banking and consulting and, you know, maybe going to grad school because those are the established paths of prestige, but uh, that doesn't have to be it. If that doesn't resonate with you, come hang out with us. We'll do a summer mini MBA so that you don't, you know, you're not a total liability to the company that you're working for. <laughs> I don't know how much that mitigated. We were still all probably a little bit of a liability, but right. <laughs> and then we'll connect you with the startups who don't have resources to go recruit at you know these great top schools around the country. The way that Goldman or Bain have resources to go do that, and so it's a win-win for the startups. It's a cool talent pipeline, and it helps them to access kind of pre-vetted, pre-trained, quote unquote talent. (laughs) (laughs) Emerging talent. Yes. (laughs) Emerging talent. Yeah. Potential talent who, you know, is going to work for cheap and is going to move, you know, another part of this was willingness to move to uh, smaller cities in the U S. So the Detroit's and the Providence, Rhode Island's and the, you know, Nashville's and 
Birmingham's of the country that, again, recent grads are always flocking to those cities because they don't have peer networks there. There are, you know, might not be prestigious jobs that jump out at them on on campus recruiting. And so we would go uh, in cohorts with jobs that we'd we'd found through the fellowship with a little bit of training and some career development and support. And it really made all the difference. And it's a really cool way to launch a career for someone who is interested in learning, you know, what it looks like behind the scenes and under the hood for a new company. Yeah, it seems like quite the amazing experience, hands-on work with different companies, which is what people need, especially if they're trying to figure out what their path is if they don't exactly know, but they are entrepreneurial or have aspirations of being an entrepreneur at some point. And and from Venture Venture for America, you went to your own company right away, it looked like. So what was that exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that's really great about the fellowship is that they're a nonprofit and they raise money by telling the story about how they're mobilizing this generation of entrepreneurs, because I'm sure you've seen the stats, but uh, our generation millennials are actually on track to be the least entrepreneurial uh, by definition, yep. you know, using the definition of starting new businesses. So yep. they want to be able to turn to their funders and say, look at how many companies are being ignited because of this fellowship program and the resources and encouragement and education we offer. So all throughout the fellowship, they're egging you on, you know, they're saying like, Hey, you know, do you have an idea? Do you have a side project? Do you have a passion? You know, come pitch, come, uh, win a little bit of grant money, uh, you know, get some training on how to run a crowdfunding campaign. And so right at the time when, uh, I think one of these nudges from venture for America, uh, a couple of friends of mine from college and I had independently, were living on opposite sides of the country come across research on something that, you know, now it is pretty widespread, but we'd come across research of ketosis. And this was back in, you know, 2012, 2013. So it was still super niche. It was still mostly just like Peter Atia's blog. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> their fingers like in in basements around the country and some really cool talk in in the medical research space or, you know, around diabetes and metabolic disease and even cancer. And so we felt like, wow, like wouldn't it be cool if we could help people who want to tinker with this and explore this eat this way with a convenient on the go, you know, snack. And so we actually developed in our kitchens a keto bar. Yeah. In 2013. So wow. <laughs> a keto <laughs> bar in 2013. Early. So yeah, this is definitely early time in terms of how keto totally. has like, this is taken the time off. When we, yeah. We were sending out feedback surveys and people were like, uh, this is a little too high in fat. Like, <laughs> yes. Tell me, like, this thing is filled with saturated fat. And we're like, no, no, no. Like, we promise it's good for you. <laughs> There's a reason why. There's a reason. There's a reason. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so it's funny. People send me articles all the time now, and they're just like, you know, like, why didn't you stick with that? Like, <laughs> you'd be selling that thing for a couple hundred million dollars at this point. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I would probably yeah. have taken off tremendously. And you said you just started like in the kitchen, just tinkering with things. Like, how did you, how did you do that? Like, how did you start? I guess is the question. Uh, with a Vitamix, the way so many good companies start. Mm, I mean, nice. following the, in the steps of the greats, like Lara American <laughs> for Lara Bar. Lara Bar, yep. But yeah, just all it takes is a Vitamix. And one of the, the friends I was working this on had a master's in nutrition. She's actually just finishing that up. So she could you know really quickly calculate the, the nutrient values and was starting to get really facile with okay if we we want to change the nutrient profile what ingredients should we pop in there all of us have always loved to cook and there were 
plenty of blogs to indulge our our tinkering and we you know follow <laughs> recipe and you think oh I can I can make that better and you start changing things and lo and behold you have something that people you love start eating and they're like hey I actually want to eat more of this and this is actually starting to taste good to me yeah and I saw that you raised money through Indiegogo how did you decide to go through them to raise funds to have your first batch totally that was the fortuitousness of working with Venture for America so they have a close partnership and they offer some really great benefits like some private mentorship, a little bit of additional funding, a little bit of a lower fee for payout. So Venture for America was really encouraging fellows that were working on side projects to get their products out there and to do a crowdfunding campaign. And we jumped at the opportunity. So it was it was a really good nudge and a really good, it just it felt like it made sense. Like there was no downside. It was, we were going to learn, we were going to make pre-sales, presumably. Yeah. Uh, we were compelling and it'd be a great forcing function for, for us to get the product out there. Yeah. It sounds like an amazing way to do it. And like you said, like it's no risk really. You just pre-sell and if it, then if you get the money you want or whatever, then you can make it. It seems like a genius idea. <laughs> totally. And I, I loved the experience crowdfunding and it's interesting because, you know, jumping ahead in the business that I'm working on, Right now, people ask me all the time, well, why don't you do another crowdfunding campaign? Like, you already know how it works. I'm sure you'll you do it even better this time. But there, there are definitely some parameters around products that I think make it a good candidate for crowdfunding versus maybe not such a great candidate. And the things that made that product a great candidate were it's an evergreen need. Like, yeah. you're not buying this bar, you know, because of a specific life event. You don't need it by a certain deadline you're not probably gifting it to someone else. So you don't need it in time for a gift. It's kind of like, well, get it to me in April or get it to me in November. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. I just want it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the second is it's, it's pretty low cost. So it's low risk. So I think people feel like, you know, if I spend 12 to 30 bucks on this and you know, it's not my favorite bar ever. I, it's not like it was the budget I had to go buy this awesome electronic thing or this awesome really expensive thing that I have no way of testing before I invest. Right. And it said on like your LinkedIn, you're at 22,000 on Indiegogo and then 2,500 bars. That's like, those are not insignificant numbers. Like that's a pretty decent amount. Like what were you expecting initially compared to what you actually got? Yeah, I think we'd set a goal of something like 10 or 15,000. So we were really pleasantly surprised that, you know, in 2013, when so few people had uh, heard about keto and this concept of a high fat food still really rubbed people the wrong way. So we were literally like mailing people copies of Gary Taubes' book, Why We Get Fat. We were sharing articles. We were doing a lot of the education in addition to trying to sell. So I think the message resonated. And, you know, I mean, as we can see now, it's resonated with millions of people across the country. So it was something promising and got some pretty good results early on. Yeah. And I think it's important that you mentioned you're kind of spreading the word and educating people about the product as well. Because I think that goes hand in hand with with e-commerce or you know any type of really any, any business. If you have a content strategy behind it, it always fuels the sales and it can be difficult to do because you need someone that obviously can create the content. But if you're passionate and knowledgeable about the topic anyways, then it seems like the perfect fit to get eyeballs on what you're doing. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And so then how did you start Good Madison Company, the company you have now, where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of close the loop on Fibar, something that we had been really passionate about in creating Fibar, this high fat bar, was helping people nourish themselves and helping people nourish themselves 
in ways that worked for them and their bodies. And ultimately, you know, we had some traction. We had some sense that this, you know, this keto thing probably is going to get big. It has some appeal. I don't think any of us had any idea how big it would get. (laughs) We're, We're making some sales, but none of us had left our day jobs. And after we wrapped up, you know, the Indiegogo campaign, we felt like, okay, we could press go and we could be all in on this and and move forward and keep trying to grow. But what are our goals here? Our goals are to learn. We're really early in our careers. And so we want to make sure that we're learning. And you know, number two, our goal is to be working on something we're really passionate about that we believe in the mission and we believe can have the impact we want to see. And the first part, the learning, we were each in jobs and, and in a grad school program where we felt like, wow, we're learning a ton. Yeah. I don't, I, we're, we're not going to give up this opportunity quickly. And so we were a little bit hesitant to, to move into working on this bar company. And then two, we didn't want to be bar entrepreneurs. And I know <laughs> people who are bar entrepreneurs and who you know, change lives and help people eat healthily on the go. And it's an amazing mission and it's a great thing to do. But you know, after a year of living it, of breathing it, of talking about it all the time, we were just like, yeah, no. No, <laughs> it's not for not, you. Not, so we we you know closed that chapter, and but something that was still true for me, and that has been true for me for years, was you know I really want to leverage nutrition, emerging nutrition research, and information about our health and our bodies that can be really transformative, and and help people to access that in affordable, accessible, and delicious ways, and. I really, I thought about that. I I marinated in it. I was reading books. I was really inspired by medical professionals like Dale Bredesen. So Dale Bredesen is an MD, PhD, who's been working in the Alzheimer's space for 30 years. Okay. He, for many years, was developing drugs that were intended to reduce the impacts and kind of slow the progression of Alzheimer's. And, you know, as, as we all know, there is no drug currently that is able to do that. So he kept putting these drugs through FDA trials. They kept failing. After 30 years of this, he stepped back and said, wow, I think I actually understand this disease well enough now to understand that this pill approach really isn't going to work. Yeah. And here's why. So if, you know, we recognize that amyloid plaque is the hallmark of Alzheimer's, it's this plaque that the brain creates to protect synapses and protecting the synapses, it's also masking them so that they can't operate and that they cause these cognitive quirks that people experiencing cognitive decline or Alzheimer's experience. And he said, you know, we have been trying to create drugs that dissolves it, that disbands it, and that, you know, exposes the synapses so that they can work again. But I actually now understand that the the amyloid plaque is being created to protect the brain from viruses or bacteria or metabolic disruptions that have passed through the blood-brain barrier. And that is the underlying root issue of Alzheimer's. And the amyloid plaque is really important in protecting those synapses from, you know, sustaining permanent damage. And so saying that we could cure Alzheimer's by, you know, dissolving amyloid plaque would be like saying we could cure cure a cut by picking a scab. And we (laughs) need to actually figure out how to prevent these perpetrators, these viruses, bacteria, toxins from passing through the blood-brain barrier in the first place. And if they have passed through, we need to help our own body, the immune system, which is when you think about it, it's like an intelligent an artificially intelligent machine programmed over thousands of years to keep us healthy. Right. It's a pretty smart <laughs> calibrated <sighs> device. And so he started to figure, ask, you know, well, what does it need and why has it failed? And what he found was fascinating. It's actually that it's 
nutrition. It's nutrient deficiencies, specifically across a number of dimensions, like the copper to zinc ratio or magnesium and, and iron. And he started treating patients by putting them on nutrition protocols that boosted these nutrients and that got their own immune systems working again. And the, the results he's, he's achieved are incredible. They are things like getting someone who had been testing at 4% of the Montreal Cognitive Assessment back up into the 90th percentile. People Goodness. who weren't able to dress themselves going back to work. Really, really spectacular results. And so I use this long drawn out example because it was stuff like that that really fired me up and, and made me feel like, oh my God, like food actually is medicine. Not just let's eat salad and not get diabetes kind of medicine, but like something is wrong. Something is going terribly wrong in my body. Yeah. It's impeding my quality of life. It's maybe threatening my life. And food, the thing I put in my body every day, three times a day, can be a strategic ally in that. And this is one example, cognitive decline. And Dale Bredesen is, you know, being heralded as a hero. He's teaching doctors across the country. They're, you know, health coaches and practitioners and whole businesses cropping up around this to support people in, you know, getting the right test to figure out, okay, what what are you uniquely deficient in? Why has your immune system not been able to prevent, you know, these things from crossing through the blood brain barrier? But it's this is just one of many examples. Right. There are doctors and so many fields in, you know, um, mental health, in cancer, in, you know, gut health, in sleep health that are standing up and saying, wait a second, I think that this is actually connected to the metabolism, the endocrine system, some bodily function in a really intimate way. And that maybe that's part of the solution as well. And so the more I read and the more I saw potential solutions, you know, to throw a couple others out there, like this idea that 80% of migraines are caused by an underlying magnesium deficiency. Whoa. The idea that polycystic ovarian syndrome, which now impacts millions of women across the country, the idea that that is, again, a result of underlying nutrient deficiency, that by reintroducing specific foods into a woman's diet, she can stop experiencing these really awful symptoms to stop experiencing such painful periods. So really everywhere you turn, there's an opportunity for education and for connecting the dots and for getting out there and saying, hey, there are foods that can help, there are nutrients that can help. Um, but you know, at the same time, when I looked around, I didn't feel like there were a whole lot of companies trying to connect the dots for those consumers. Yeah. You know, it felt like they're practitioners and they're, I mean, they're doing incredible work and I'm so grateful that they exist and they're educating patients and they're leading the way, paving the revolution, like good for them, but they can be expensive. They can be geographically specific. It can be um, hard to stay on those protocols when you figure out what they're supposed to be with the doctor. And so taking that, you know, my passion for food and my passion for product and taking that interest in connecting the dots between specific life moments and nutrients yep. and good medicine was born. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of questions from even that initial kind of stories and everything, but first off, like how are you approaching, I guess, the research and learning all about these different things and finding the right experts to trust and, and all of that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question and one that is existential for us and, and fundamental to the company. Right. So our belief and our kind of stance. So some, something that's really interesting to me to start, because <laughs> everything has a, has a story. Of course, to get no, me of course. Is that a lot of medicinal uh, information and wisdom 
was has been collected by a lot of different cultures over many hundreds and thousands of years. And we've we've done this really interesting thing in the US where we've kind of pushed a lot of that away and in favor of this gold standard of kind of like the the double blind randomized control trial. Yeah. And we haven't leaned as much into or haven't asked ourselves as many questions about those kind of more traditional healing modalities. So one example is Ayurveda, which is the 5,000-year-old medical system that was developed in India by the the Vedics. And uh, it is a very extensive set of – it actually literally translates to the science of life. And it's a very extensive set of rules and hypotheses that govern the human body and seasons and um, food and how they all interact. And so actually to bring it back to Dale Bredesen, when he – published his paper and identified these three subtypes of Alzheimer's, viral, toxic, and metabolic. An Ayurveda doctor came forward and said, hey, Dale, did you know that Ayurveda also identified three subtypes of Alzheimer's? (laughs) Let's map them. Let's see how much they have in common and how much they they differ. And it turned out that they mapped incredibly well. They had obviously different language because, you know, they didn't back 5,000 years ago, they didn't have the language of microbiology. They hadn't yet like looked inside cells and they hadn't yet looked inside the brain, but the recommendations and the descriptions of nuanced difference of symptoms lined up completely. So based on that premise and, and many, many others and many instances where it's kind of like, whoa, the, you know, they were doing this thing that now we've actually vetted with genetic testing or blood testing or biome testing. We draw a lot of our inspiration from traditional Chinese medicine, from Ayurveda, from these other traditions and we actually seek out the recommendations and advice of trained practitioners in those domains. So as we build our medical advisory board, we've looked to add Ayurvedic doctors, licensed acupuncturists, et cetera, et cetera. We also look for classically trained MDs who have come up in the West and who have been practicing and studied kind of our modern day conception of human biology, chemistry, biochemistry, and science. Yeah. Uh, we look at more integrative practitioners like integrative nutritionists we look at you know functional doctors of all kinds chiropractors and we actually look for the moments where all of those practitioners agree because there are hundreds of places where they disagree and where they point <laughs> fingers, you're crazy no you're crazy no you're stupid no you're stupid but they're actually even you know there are a few beautiful places where they come together and they say like yes a hundred percent you know now without certainty we can all agree you know the gut has a massive impact on our health and we're, and we're looking at studies that show you know the microbes in the gut can impact mood they can impact immune function and ayurveda and traditional chinese medicine have been thinking that for centuries and now you know the modern world has caught up so when we think about developing products for different ailments we think about asking people from each of those disciplines you know what does this discipline teach about this what do they recommend why and then when we start to see a pattern we say whoa everybody is recommending you know, flax seeds for period health. And in modern day science, they say it's because of the linens and the phytoestrogens. And, the, and in traditional Chinese medicine, they say because it's a yin food or, you know, each has their own explanation of why. But if the answer is the same, we think that's a pretty darn promising place to start. Yeah. And then the worst case scenario is, you know, you ate some healthy food. So it's also <laughs> much lower risk than the way the Western world is currently looking for, you know, medication. Yeah. And with those experts, you have, you know, subject matter experts in different areas and you're trying to get ones that you're trying to find the the commonalities between them. But this whole, I guess, almost like a board of advisors of sorts, like, how are you approaching them and like, look and searching them out and like, 
interviewing them or asking them questions? I'm curious about the whole process for like organizing all of that because I imagine there's so many different different ones. Like, how are you approaching that? Yeah, absolutely. So one pretty effective strategy has just been showing up as a patient. So yeah, I, that'll work. I <laughs> signed myself up for as many clinics or um, you know acupuncture sessions, nutritionist consults as I possibly can. Mm-hmm both to learn for myself, you know, who's giving good advice and, and I get word of mouth recommendations and I figure out, you know, who are the most popular ones and try to figure out, you know, who has a really good practice and who do I trust and who can I build a relationship with? And over time they get to know me and they get to know my business and some of them are really interested in it, excited about it. And so that lends itself really nicely to natural partnerships. Another way is doing the hustle, doing the like, <laughs> I see this person, I see the book they've written, I see how amazing their work is. It really aligns with what we're trying to do. Let's start playing the name game and working backwards on LinkedIn to figure yes. out how I can get a woman to work with them. And so those two have been our primary means. A third means, which is really nice because we have a little bit of an insider in, is that my business partner actually did a year-long certificate in Ayurveda. So she is trained as an Ayurvedic health practitioner, and she learned from some of the best Ayurvedic doctors in the world. And so she, you know, listens to them lectures, she has their email addresses. So we're also able to reach back out as, and she's able to reach back out as a former student and say, you know, I'm actually starting a company that draws on a lot of what you taught me, you know, can you keep helping? (laughs) A pretty, you know, a a good. Yeah. And I I guess once you have it out there in the world, like what you're doing, people tend to be willing to help, especially if you know kind of what you want. I mean, to this point, like us talking right now is because of Lindsay Gordon, another person on the podcast who you know, introduced us online. And so that's such a thing, getting referrals from other people, then you never know where that network kind of leads to and can help you in some capacity and you have you can help them as well. And so just kind of being aware of that seems like it's a good idea as well. Totally. It's that always saying yes. Like you said yes to being introduced. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> time and you know it still might yeah <laughs> i've got another 30 minutes of your time to <laughs> so far so good <laughs> and with your company so you have all these experts you're doing a ton of research and that's kind of the basis and the start of everything but how you're deciding then okay how are we turning this into a business what are the products going to be where what are we, we going to start with we started by thinking about okay what are the moments in people's lives when they're willing to make a change when you know, they might be plodding along, taking Advil and feeling bad and having you know stomach cramps or whatever it is. What is going to be a pivotal moment that makes them pick their head up and think, okay, I want to try something different. You know, this is serious. I've got to put some energy and some investment into this. And, you know, we thought through a lot. And actually, the first iteration of this business was actually fresh prepared meals for cancer patients. That's like a whole other podcast yeah. to talk about. But, you know, based on that hypothesis of, okay, food commuses medicine, there's this great research on anti-angiogenesis and apoptosis and ketosis in cancer. Let's like get some foods in, in front of patients and help support them through whatever other treatment process that they're using. But for a number of reasons, that wasn't the right place to start. One reason being I was not prepared to do fresh prepared food. That's kind of like, jumping in on your first day on the slopes on a double black diamond when <laughs> maybe a green would, would be challenging enough. So I, you know, immediately drew the boundary of, okay, this is all going to be shelf stable, you know, packaged food. We're not going to have rotating menus of fresh food and we're not going to do this meal delivery style. And I really went through 
every pain point we could think of. You know, someone wants to sleep better, someone's having digestive issues, someone gets a UTI, someone has a yeast infection, someone has painful periods. And we would say, okay, what's the research? What do all of these disciplines say about what could heal that specific need or want? What form factor can we get those nutrients into? You know, what foods are they abundant in? And how might we serve them? Could they, you know, for example, tart cherries have a hundred times more melatonin than the next leading food-based source of melatonin uh, per gram. So what what could we do with a tart cherry? And ultimately that's where my business partner and her genius is really helpful because she has a culinary background. She was did culinary school and then right out of culinary school worked at the number nine restaurant in the world, uh, was in fine dining. And so she can make really creative and delicious things. And so she came up with the idea of doing a shrub. And for those who haven't tried shrubs yet, they are kind of like fermented fruit and vinegar drink that you add a splash. They're often in cocktails, but you can add a splash to sparkling water and it tastes delicious. And it delivers a ton of really concentrated nutrients from the initial fruit that is used uh, in the shrub. And so we cycled through so many of these different life moments, health needs, uh, foods that could support them. And ultimately the one that's been the most popular and that we feel delivers the right combination of, you know, really useful nutrients. It's a really, it's a sticky idea. And and most of the people that we talk to about it immediately have good use for it is a postpartum recovery box. And so this is targeted at new moms and anyone who knows new moms and wants to give them an awesome gift that focuses on mom and focuses on her recovery and her journey and you know as awesome as baby onesies are <laughs> mom can onesie and like she's pretty hungry like she might be a milk machine if she's breastfeeding nipples are getting chapped there's like leaking is going on or a scar across the abdomen and so there's just a lot of of room for nourishment and nutrients and a lot of great research that shows that women who are able to replenish the uh, nutrients that they've been depleted in throughout pregnancy. And so they're actually a, a specific list of about five or six of those nutrients that are incredibly uh, intensively used for the creation of new life. So omega-3, DHA, iron, B vitamins, magnesium, selenium, and omega-3s. And these are, you know, in traditional cultures, replenished really quickly because grandma comes and cooks some like pig's feet soup or some mushroom seaweed soup. And uh, in Asian cultures, there's this concept of sitting the month, uh, of waiting 30 days and, and being fed and nourished. And in our culture, it's kind of like, <laughs> hey, can you be back at work on Monday? Yeah, right. Oh, you're, <laughs> like, oh, you're so the kid's out. Okay. So now you're working again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like eat some lasagna and get back to work. <laughs> and, um, and so we wanted to bring the, the focus back on nourishment. And there's really good research that shows if you can do that, you will see fewer complications with recovery. You usually see less postpartum depression. You'll see healthier subsequent pregnancies. You'll see a reduced number of you know coughs, colds, flus that mom gets in the subsequent years when her kid is bringing home all kinds of germs. And um, so it's really important from a nutrition perspective to replenish at that time. And so that's a kind of health moment that we've zeroed in on, that we've landed on to start. And eventually our, our mission and vision is still creating a functional food pharmacy and getting foods that have specific, you know, targeted goals in the body out to the world. And so 
this is a, a place to start and a place to launch. And we're really, really excited about it. Yeah, and there, there's so much you can do with that, right? There's so many different needs and and combinations. And you, you, you know, you, you go through more research and learn more things, and you can do different combinations of foods or whatever it may be to to make the right product. So it seems like such an interesting company to run, you know, because there's so many different things you could do. And yeah, food. absolutely. It um, definitely has a little bit of an element of head explosion sometimes. <laughs> because you know, a friend will call and be like. Hey, like, what about the good medicine blog? Like, you guys should capture all this information on a blog. And we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we should. Whoa, that's like a whole other company. Yeah. <laughs> I will vouch for that. You know, someone... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then someone will say, well, could you do this as a telemedicine practice? Could you be like a functional food telemedicine practice? And, or could you be an app? Or could you be this? And Yes, we could be all of those things, and we will, and we, we hope to be, but we do have to start somewhere. Yeah, and tell me about the like the current offerings, like which ones you you currently have, and kind of maybe a little bit about how you decide to choose those specific ones. I know you already talked a little bit about that, but what are your current kind of offerings on the on the site? Totally. So right now, uh, the new Mom Box is the primary product offering on our okay. site. It's a pre-launch site. It's you know it's a beta version. We haven't yet branded. We haven't yet gotten our packaging. And these aren't the products from our co-packer. These are products that we've been making out of commercial kitchen. But it's been awesome to test because we went through about 25 different products and you know scrapped them all to get to where we are today with the five products that are in there. And I can talk a little bit about the five products that are in the new mom box. So one is lactation cookies. So for nursing moms, uh, you know, they'll be the first to tell you that quantity and quality of breast milk is so important and can be really finicky early on. And there are these proven foods called galactagogues, which means a milk producing agent that stimulate prolactin and help a mom to produce breast milk. And this becomes especially helpful if mom can't spend 24 seven with her baby or needs to start pumping because she's traveling, she's back at work and breast milk quantity can go down at that point. So we made some lactation cookies. There are a couple on the market, but what we're really excited about with ours is that there's no gluten, there's no dairy, there's no refined sugar. Uh, there's only four grams of coconut sugar in them. So they're a really healthy cookie. They're loaded with omega-3s, healthy fats. There's coconut and oats in there, and but they taste like a really decadent, awesome chocolate chip cookie. Ooh, nice. I'm sure moms will love that. <laughs> My husband is actually probably eating more of them than anyone. Taste testing for research, yes. <laughs> Mom, beware. You've, yeah, you've got to watch out <laughs> for wandering hands. Where'd all the cookies go? Uh, They're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. Uh, another one is an immune support tea. So again, when all of a sudden there's a little bit of added stress and less sleep, it can be really taxing for the immune system. So this is a tea that's filled with the right herbs that are abundant in minerals and vitamins that support the immune system. Again, like really easy to eat or drink. You can drink it with one hand. You can, you know, just fill a cup. It's as easy as filling a cup with hot water and easy to integrate into a new mom's life and routine. We have an all-purpose salve, which is great as a nipple butter, as a scar healing cream for dry skin um, because it's really easy to get dehydrated as a new mom. You've lost a lot of fluids in the form of blood. You might be producing breast milk, which leads me to the next one, which is a hydration powder. Um, and again, a lot of hydration powders out there have some artificial sweeteners or decaking agents in them, but ours is a really clean one. It's got chlorophyll, black lava, sea salt, just great ingredients that get all the electrolytes and are you know more hy hydrating than just water because it can be difficult to get as hydrated as possible 
with water and hydration is actually such something you know we're really passionate about and is so medicinal in itself it hydration is at the center of circulation and circulation is the way that any nutrient gets anywhere in our body we have this amazing stuff pumping around us every second of the day called blood yeah. yes. <laughs> um, it needs you know it's it's based on water and electrolytes. So we need to be getting water and electrolytes into our bodies if we're going to ignite any type of healing process and if we're going to help our bodies out, you know, in, in, in doing anything. And the, the uh, last product in there is um, a shrub. And the shrub is really helpful because it can replace wine, which new moms are trying, you know, maybe to lay off on. It, it's been known to pass through breast milk. So it's again something that can look great, taste great, um, and and make mom happy. That's awesome. And you mentioned the the commercial kitchen. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I actually the person I just interviewed before this, uh, Molly Sullivan, runs a, a restaurant in Milwaukee, and kind of like health related, but also some other things. But she mentioned the commercial kitchen, and I'm curious, what exactly is that process for working in there to develop a product? We are definitely in a golden age for young food brands. Because in the past, the option was kind of like, make it out of your kitchen illegally for a while. It's questionable. Uh, I can borrow, steal, steal space from a friend in the, in the food industry. Um, and then, you know, basically you had to be big enough from there to go find your own commercial kitchen that you had to buy for yourself and you had to be prepared to make that down payment and do the build out. And that's like another full-time job in the company. Um, or you had to be big enough to go to a co-packer. But there are a bunch of smaller um, kind of shared commercial kitchens, almost like we work for kitchen space that are popping up in bigger metropolitan areas. And we're up in the Bay Area. There are uh, three that are uh, really well known that, that jump into my mind right away. Um, kitchen Town, Port Kitchen Spaces, and then Forage Kitchen, which is the one that we ultimately ended up at. So we, through you know word of mouth, through learning, from other small food businesses about where they got their start. We got all these names. We I went and toured every facility and asked all, a bunch of questions and you know figured out how it would work for us and what we liked and didn't like about each space and each community. And ultimately, Forge has been a fantastic fit, and we've done everything from R and D there, so we can you know rent tables by the hour. And every time we've got a table, we have access to industrial ovens, industrial mixers a whole you know, slew of commercial kitchen products. And so we can do R&D, but we can also small batch produce. So when we get our orders, we're fulfilling with products that we've created out of that kitchen. Right. Which is, yeah, that's awesome that it's growing and it makes it so much easier for food entrepreneurs to kind of test things and try that all out. And yeah, I didn't realize that was how you did it. I was kind of curious actually to that whole process because it seems like, oh yeah, people probably just make it from their house or something to start with. But like, Maybe they do, but then also the commercial kitchen is really how you're supposed to technically do it, I, I suppose. <laughs> and, <laughs> totally. And, and as you've grown, like, what have been the biggest challenges so far in this whole process for trying to get this company live and get this company to be where you want it to be, essentially? I think the number one challenge in early days like this is managing you know, our own team psychology and deciding to wake up every day and continue to work on this. <laughs> um, I think, you know, that's, that's really the biggest asset you have early on is your own optimism and your own drive to get things done and your own passion for telling the story. And the second that, I mean, it's such a fragile thing. And the second that that wavers, you know, the company doesn't exist anymore. Yes. <laughs> um, it, 
a little bit like building stones dupe. Like you tell your lawyer, like, Hey, we're starting this company. And then they're like, okay, cool. And they help you incorporate it. And then you, you know, tell a customer, Hey, we sell this product. And I'm like, okay, I'll buy it from you. But the second you stop telling people the story of what you're doing, like there's no one else to drive it forward. Right. And this team, who, who is the team currently? So it's my business partner and I, and we are, we are full-time working on this. Okay. And then we've amassed quite a, a you know, we, we feel really supported and surrounded by really great people who um, are not full-time, but are either contractors, have, you know, traded their time or donated their time or supported us in some way to, to bring their expertise and help, help get stuff done. So on any given day, we might be interacting, you know, we won't spend a full day with any of these other team members, but we might have, you know, half day meetings with them, or we might, you know, be exchanging notes or getting deliverables for them or having them present to us, which has been really helpful. Yeah. And as you move forward here, so what is kind of the the next steps and the things you need to do coming up with the company? Yeah. So we're um, getting ready to launch the new Mombox, the non-beta version, which by the way, I should have said, if anyone listening has someone in their life who's awesome and who recently gave birth or is about to give birth, you should check out thegoodmedicinecompany.com and buy them a beta version <laughs> of the new Mombox. <laughs> of course. And I'll link that uh, as well in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. Yeah. So that's out there, but we are ready to take it to the next level, put our branding, to put our visual and verbal identity on there, to get it co-packed um, and to get up a, a kind of more long-term e-commerce website up and running. So in order to do that, the steps that we're taking to get there are to finish our medical advisory board, to finish this branding project that we're working on with an outside agency who's helping us to do that. We are going to raise an additional bit of capital to make sure that you know when we hit go, well, first that we can place the pre-order for a large amount of products we're going to need to buy. Um, and then also that when we hit go, you know, we don't break everything and ourselves <laughs> 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 trying to fulfill orders and continue to get the word out. Just curious, there's a what's the timeline kind of for the live, live, non-beta version? The live, live, non-beta version <laughs> will be coming at the end of 2019. Okay, awesome. So something to look forward to, end of 2019. And with the business, I'm also just curious on like your time spent day to day, week to week, like what tasks are you specifically typically working on? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't say 50% of my time I spend talking to other people. And that's you know, advisors who have been really kind enough to, to donate their time. And, you know, we're not experts on CPG companies or products. And so being able to pick other people's brains and have them help us not make the mistakes they did. So getting connected with, you know, the VP of operations at a bigger food company or a CEO at a bigger food company and getting the ins and outs of, you know, what should be in our co-packer contract? What should we ask in our first meeting? <laughs> what can we say to make ourselves in, in a more appealing partner to work with? Right. Um, with co-packer. And so in some ways, you know, we're really outsourcing our, our team to, to those brains and those minds um, that have been there and done that before. Another good part of the, the time is spent, you know, actually making product. So we'll be winding that down a little bit now that we've moved past the kind of R&D and beta phase, but it would be, you know, a full day of my business partner and I in the kitchen, baking the 20th batch of our lactation cookies that week, trying to figure out, you know, uh, why, why is it, you know, getting, why is it so hard or, or why is it a little bit too salty that time? Or how can we get this to bind and stick together in a way that when we ship it, they don't crumble in their package. So that was a big part of it. There's a lot of, kind of like internal strategy and planning my business partner and I do 
Uh, something I love that we do in a way that we spend, you know, at least an hour every Friday is we look back and we do wins for the week, shout outs to each other, things we could both be doing better and our goals for the upcoming week. And so being in that cadence and having some kind of continuity from week to week and a way to check back at our goals has been really helpful as well. And then what else am I missing? <laughs> Definitely a lot of like admin. So making sure taxes are paid, making sure our bank account exists, making sure, you know, all of the legal, you know, correct legal documents are in place. Um, we, we raised our friends and family round uh, a couple months ago. And so making sure, you know, everyone's getting their right tax forms is uh, definitely a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Real. Yeah. The admin stuff is you have to do it, but just one of those soul sucking things normally. Yeah. It's just a part of being an entrepreneur. I've I've learned to love it because it's so tangible. It's like, did you do this? Yes or no? Like, yes. Okay. Good job. Pat on the back. (laughs) No one else in my day can be like, should I do this? Like, was this even the right thing to do? So I think, you know, learning to appreciate. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good perspective to have. <laughs> and then yeah. along the way, I'm just curious if there's any other, like, obviously you mentioned a lot of experts you're talking to, but were there any other books or uh, podcasts, audiobooks, you know, conferences, other things that have been helpful for you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening to other entrepreneurs stories for me, and I, and I know a couple other entrepreneurs that don't feel this way and they feel like, oh, you know, it's like, so demoralizing because everyone else is so much further than I am. But I feel like listening to other entrepreneurs' stories has been so helpful. So, you know, your podcast, how I built this, um, unfinished biz, all of those have, you know, think of those founders like now like my friends. Like I'll, you know, a business partner I will turn to someone and be like, Well, when Lara was doing this with Lara Bar, we'll <laughs> actually, you know, reference their trials and tribulations and the, the strategies they came up with to overcome. And, you know, when Julie from Soul Cycle ran into this problem. So, <laughs> um, I think that's been huge. And then I'm also a big fan of um of the first round capital, the first round review. So their their blog tends to have pretty high quality tips and tricks and tools and resources from not just founders, but leaders at the companies in their portfolio. Yeah, it's very helpful. And there's, there's so many resources out there that are for entrepreneurs. And like How I Built This is definitely one of the a really great podcasts I listen to. I think, I mean, a lot of episodes, not all the episodes, but a lot. And they're they're just fantastic. And it's, it's just helpful to hear that. And then also get some other strategies and tactics and everything from different podcasts specifically. So I listen to like some, some like more specific like marketing or branding or other more like tactical podcasts versus stories of how people like actually build their companies, but they both can be extremely valuable. I think as you have gone through this, this whole process and how are you managing the ups and downs of, of being an entrepreneur each day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I owe a lot of this to my business partner who, you know, we can all give this lip service, but she really lives it is, you know, treating our brains like one of the most valuable assets that the company owns and saying, we are essentially houseplants with more complicated emotions. We need um, we need some light. We need some water. We need some nourishment. And we need some sleep. And if we get those things, our brains will thank us and they, they will function at an optimal level. So I, I really schedule those things in and um, I treat them like my job. And I just, you know, it's not a question about whether I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable hour. And I, w- I would just rather do those things than... Um, then, t- you know, hit the next thing on my to-do list and something slips off, so be it. 
um, at least I will, you know, function <laughs> yes. another day. And so that's my, you know, hardline perspective on it. And, and my business partner uh, is, is amazing at living that as well as believing that and, and talking about that. Yeah, that's definitely important. Difficult, but important. If you set the hardline stance on it, then it makes it, I imagine, much easier because you have to work within that framework. And totally. and uh, was there any other advice for like aspiring entrepreneurs or anyone trying to like optimize their health through food? Anything you would say? Yeah, absolutely. I would say start with an open mind. You know, challenge the beliefs that you've inherited through this culture, which you know centered a lot around the food pyramid. Oh, <laughs> I yes. did a lot of really interesting research um, on where people get their nutrition information and where they get their food beliefs and. It's kind of like, oh gosh, like the food pyramid, like middle school health class, uh, the news, my mom. You know, <laughs> we don't have like a really reliable way that we transmit this information. Um, and there's some really new, incredible books out there and and resources out there. And I think you know, seeking those out, seeking ones out that challenge um, existing beliefs, and can be really mind expanding. Awesome. And I think because of your company, you said I have 2019, you're kind of getting out of beta. We may have to have another episode eventually. Once you're, once you're, once you're, <laughs> as we say, live, live, non-beta. Um, once that happens, <laughs> then we'll have to have you on again. But where can people go online to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. The best spot is the goodmedicinecompany.com. And you can drop your name in our email list and We'll keep you posted about our real, real non-beta launch. <laughs> but as new products come out and you can read a little bit more about our philosophy there. Awesome. Astrid, thank you so much for the time today. Oh my gosh, thank you. It's been a pleasure and look forward to coming back with more stories yeah. later in the year. Yes, more excitement to come for sure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast and you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.